Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Pinerker, and I am so excited to have on my homie, Jonathan Neville. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Well, we had a, Anthony and I had a really hard day today, but we actually, yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate your patience, uh, us getting this set up. We had some major technical issues, but what I thought was so important, folks, was that, of course, we um, we kind of had the exclusive where we had uh, Nigel Kennett come on our program, who was a, uh, an accountant, CPA, uh, based in uh, Alberta, uh, Canada, and he was one of the, uh, quote unquote, whistleblowers uh, to, about the church finances uh, and uh, in Canada. And also, of course, there was a report this weekend put out by 60 Minutes Australia, which also talked about church finances there. And uh, of course, this channel is about all the voices of the restoration. I had promised my audience that I was going to have a faithful voice come on the program. And I thought as soon as I was done taping my in, in my interview with Nigel on Friday, um, I got on the phone and asked Jonathan if he would come on. And I appreciate you doing this, Jonathan, because, you know, I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm an evangelical Christian. And, and and for many Christians and conservative people with maybe conservative backgrounds, they often felt that there was a media bias against them. And I have to tell you, folks, I am kind of a, a media news junkie of Canadian news and politics. And I found that the same type of biases against people who maybe are of a conservative or an evangelical or Christian persuasion were often looked down upon and they were mm -hmm. made fun of. And I saw that with... Um, with Preston Manning when he started the Reform Party in the 1990s and the Prairie Populist Movement. Um, he was an evangelical Christian, and his faith was uh, criticized. And then when Stockwell Day took the reins of the party in the early 2000s, he was a Pentecostal, and they made uh, light of that as well. And then it's gotten to the point now where even if you're personally opposed to abortion in Canada, that's now a scandal. Um, and I'm not, this is a nonpartisan, nonpolitical show. But I do feel like there, the CBC um, does tend to be, and the media in general, tends to be a little bit more um, biased, I think, to more conservative and or religious folk. And that's just, I'm getting off my soapbox. I, I, do, <laughs> I do feel that Nigel's a really good guy, and I think he's a very sincere man. And this is not, we're not going to go and attack anybody. Um, and I, I'm, I just wanted to kind of get that out up front as well, that it's important that regular folk feel that their voices are being heard as well. And I did get a great letter and I had a conversation with a gentleman who was just recently released as a bishop in Ontario. And he uh, told me, Steve, he said they, they didn't get any faithful voices on the program. They only had ex-Mormons on. He said, I wish the church would have come on. But he also said that, but Steve, people don't realize that on a, on a local level, the local branches are being involved in the community and are helping. And so we had a nice half hour conversation this past Sunday about it, which was really good. And I want to thank you so much. I'm not going to give your name because you probably just want to re remain anonymous. But actually, Jonathan, you got to read the letter that he sent me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so the, I'm, I'm hearing from you folks. You know, that's the thing. I want to hear every voice. And I will take the time to get down that phone to talk to people to hear their story too. And Jonathan, I know this is a little long intro, but I wanted to kind of clear the air on this as well. Um, well, what did, you, what did you think? You watched, uh, I asked you to watch the Fifth Estate Report, and then uh, the 60 Minutes Report came out on Sunday in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, just kind of give me your, what, where, you, what, what, just your feelings on this and what kind of what okay. conclusions sure. you're coming up with. Well, that was a good intro. And another aspect of this is that the CBC is 
funded by the government. So you would expect that it would to be a little less biased and more even-handed, but be that as it may. So I, one of the reasons that I agreed to talk to you is in my profession, I've been, I've worked as an accountant as well as a, I was CFO of a large company for a while and also uh, my background is in agricultural economics. So I, I kind of have a feel for the different professions involved here and their different approaches. And when your guest was on the other day, was an accountant and he had gone through the detail of the reports and so on. And that's normally what accountants do. And I understand and respect all that. However, from another perspective, well, I, I want to start off by saying, first of all, I'm not representing the church at all. <laughs> okay, just to make that clear. And I'm just talking as a, an ordinary member, let's say. But I do have experience in finance and, and accounting and economics. And what struck me is one of the things in his uh, presentation, as well as in these reports, was they were only talking about one side of the ledger, in a way. And they talked about the, the amount of money being donated to BYU, for example. But they don't talk about how much money the church spends on other projects through other funds in Canada or in Australia. And, and I thought, for example, and I don't know how many temples there are in Canada, but there's seven or eight or nine or whatever the number is. And those are just money pits, the temples are. And that's considered a religious activity, which is a legitimate charitable enterprise. And so, and they didn't talk about the welfare farms or the other projects that the church does. So I can understand being concerned in, on the one hand that all this money, what was it? That seems like hundreds of millions of dollars was mm -hmm. donated to BYU, if I recall, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, over the course, like 15 years or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but BYU doesn't depend on Canada for its operating funds either. I mean, that, that's that's one piece of the overall picture. Just as an example, when I was CFO of this company, we had about $150 million a year in revenues. And so I was constantly moving millions of dollars to one account to another account for various reasons in our company. If someone was to isolate one particular account and look at all the money that went in there, where did that go? Without understanding all the other accounts, you would get a very um, unbalanced, imperfect picture of what the overall operation was. And I think that's that was evident in these news reports that they were focused on one particular account out of Canada where that money went, but they didn't look at other money that churches uh, spent in Canada or in Australia for charitable purposes. Hmm. That was one you know response that I had. I just thought that the way the way the the shows were edited and the the people they interviewed and the music they used to pull on emotional strings. I mean, it was very much a an emotional appeal rather than an intellectual or factual appeal. Yeah, I agree with you. As a matter of fact, I, I that was the one that struck me. So now when we booked the interview with Nigel, um, I didn't know anything about the report. I, I went in and saw it on Thursday night when it was when it was dropped. Mm -hmm. And I after watching, I was like, okay, this is hard hitting. There's showmanship going on. Uh, yeah. you know, standing out in front of the church office building, they wouldn't let us in or you know, yeah. they don't talk to us. It's like you don't have to yeah. shoot that scene, but you do it because it makes for good television. Um, and then the music, uh, I felt like okay, like it's it's the the type of kind of music you're gonna hear in these kind of reports. Right. 
And I'm like, okay, I get it. That's just kind of that genre. But it's definitely kind of like both, and this is the thing, both the Fifth Estate and both 60 Minutes. And by the way, they're both using the same footage. You could tell they were collaborating on this whole thing, working together, is that that's the approach that they took. And I even thought it was interesting how they used um, gospel music in the 60 Minutes thing, you know? And it, it just seemed like, okay, you know, uh, it was kind of cool music. I enjoyed it, but uh, but it was just kind of like done in a way that is is a bit of showmanship, uh, showing just one side. This is the thing. I I I I think it's important that every single person that was on those programs, their voice need to be heard. Absolutely, sure. Their opinions were important to be heard, right? And so I don't. I'm not criticizing anybody. Uh, anybody that was on the show. What I'm criticizing is who wasn't on the show. I was telling somebody. I said, you know, I if if, if I could have found a half dozen. A half dozen, at least a half dozen TBMs that would have been more than happy to go on those programs and defend the church, including yourself. And I just, that's the only criticism I have is just the lack of balance in the report, that there are plenty of people who say, I love the church. I support what the church is doing with the finances and and, and then give list their reasons. And that's the one thing I have to be critical about those programs. Well, and there's, there's a couple other aspects of this, and this is partly from my perspective. First of all, both shows were outrage theater. You know, they do everything they can to make an audience outraged so they'll get more views and, and so on. That's, that's you know, that's par for the course for these kind of shows. So to some degree, you have to discount it for that anyway. And, and it's understandable why they use those tactics. They all have jobs. They have to get ratings, just like, the, you know, the cable news continually engages in outrage theater for the same reason, get people riled up. But another aspect of it is, I mentioned my background in agricultural economics. So we always had this well-known motto that you can give a man a fish, feed him for a day. If you teach him to fish, he can live for the rest of his life, right? And that's the way I think the church is approaching these kind of uh, humanitarian issues. Partly is, you know, we, there's a lot of criticism all the time about how much money the church donates for food banks, for example, or other things, which is substantial, but it's relatively small compared to the overall investments that the church has. But the church's approach, from my perspective anyway, is that they're trying to teach people how to fish rather than just give them fish. And we have a a multitude of programs for that. The whole self-reliance program, the pathway program, which is worldwide, uh, the self-reliance program is worldwide. I was teaching self-reliance um, classes in financial management in Africa, you know, myself. And we we have, um, I've had students from around the world. We're, I think I've told you before that my wife and I trained the pathway missionaries in South America. And so the church is engaged in a very aggressive and life-changing effort around the world to teach people to fish. And the critics- What is, what is the pathway program? What exactly does the pathway, what does what does the pathway program do? What oh, just kind of explain? Okay. It. Well, the pathway program is it's basically online college education. Okay. But it the pathway part of it is a one year kind of a transition from not being in college to being in college, and that's that's where so many uh, potential college students fail. They drop out or they can't. They're not well enough prepared to uh, do college courses. So the first year has a mentorship program where we have weekly gatherings and we help people um, understand how college works, you know, how to become more comfortable doing presentations and being involved. It's just a phenomenal program and it's all around the world. Okay, and then- We, and then, we met um, students in, in Madagascar even. Go ahead. Okay, 
Okay, so this is so so this would be like an educational program that the church is involved in. Mm -hmm. Talk about also maybe what kind of programs the church is involved in regards to helping alleviate poverty and and those kind of things. Well, pathway is part of that because people who get better jobs can get work their way out of poverty. And a pathway set up so that people earn certificates along the way to getting a degree and the certificates themselves are valuable for employers. So it's one way to help people to, you know, rise above their circumstances that they would never otherwise. It, it kind of grew out of the perpetual education fund. You know, years ago, the church was, uh, had a loan program where they would loan money to people primarily in less developed countries so they could attend local schools and then they would repay that loan with their increased earnings. The pathway program is, is a little variation of that where it gives people opportunity to have an American degree that's you know certified by American standards and so on. And it's really amazing. And in order to be part of it, you have to speak English, have a proficiency in English. And so there's another program called English Connect that helps people learn English well enough to go to college. And so that's just one example of many, but it's an important one, I think, that's yeah. growing rapidly around the world. Okay. Well, um, getting back to these reports now, um, one of the things is, is, of course, they talk about, um, Nigel pointed out, essentially, um, almost half the money that's um, raised with, with tithe funds goes to a private university in the United States of America, and that the percentage of Canadian students is is very it's like a little over 1% of the population of BYU. So the argument is, and this, 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 I just want to throw this at you. Yeah, sure. So they have this tax credit program. And the idea is, the principle is, is that we're, if, if, if we give these tax credits, this money goes to a, a soup kitchen or a food bank that the government doesn't have to fund. And that that's, it's like a direct benefit that the taxpayers of Canada have that it's rather than money that's being spent through government sources, that it's being done in a local community. And I, I feel like that's, I can get why people would say, well, why would half, almost half the money go to this private university in the United States when this is meant to be basically stay in the community and go to soup kitchens and food banks and, and, and all educational programs like Pathways, that kind of thing. Maybe talk about that. Well, I, you know, I don't know the details of the Canadian law, but I think it also allows uh, money to be given to charities overseas, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, the soup kitchen, local um, initiatives like that are important also, but the law doesn't only allow those. And, and that's what I'm getting at though. So let's say um, the Canadian half, just for argument purposes, let's say half the money donated by Canadian tithe payers goes to BYU, but half the money donated by say Utah tithe payers goes to the rest of the world also. So it's like when you look at the Canadian money leaving, they're not looking at the American money coming into Canada. See what I mean? Hmm. So it, that's why I, I felt like the picture was so incomplete. And I'm not going to question their, their findings as far as the reports that they generated, as far as how much money went to BYU. But my question is, well, what about all the other money that went from Americans or French people or you know, Australians into Canada, and they had, had nothing to say about that. So the Australian, I think the strongest point of the Australian 60 Minutes 
was they were talking about how there are no other churches that get the tax exemption that you know that 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 the the, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints gets, and they basically are saying that they created a charity on paper, and that that and that it's being controlled from Utah, and that would be um, not the intent of how this is supposed to work. So, folks in Canada, if you are at, if you give to a yeah. religious group, you don't get tax exemptions from those funds. But this, this would they set up a charity, in essentially, right? Yeah. So what, what do you have to say? I and mean, you're a lawyer. You have uh, well, two, two things for that. First of all, I assume it's all been vetted by lawyers, so I'm not mm -hmm. going to question that. But there's a real difference between the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and other churches, and that is the church relies on volunteers to operate the church. Most Christian churches, one of their biggest line items is a salary for the pastor or the minister. So. You can run the church in in Australia without needing a lot of overhead, right? So, in, in a, that's a one big distinction. When you say other churches don't get a deduction, that's because they're paying for salaries for ministers and operating expenses. As I understand it, the the operating budgets of churches or congregations, boards, and branches around the world are all paid out of Salt Lake, right? So they're not locally funded other than fast offerings. And by the way, I was in a ward once, I was in a bishopric and so I'm pretty, I've been in several bishoprics, but I mean, I was in one in particular where the amount of the fast offerings we were paying was incredible, it was in the six figures annually. And, and those kind of numbers are not released publicly, but I think people outside in the world don't understand how much the church does to help people, not just church members, but even non-members. In, in terms of fast offerings and other donations like that. But it, for the Australians example in particular, I think there's a distinction to be made between churches that are locally funded, like most Christian churches would be in Canada, versus the LDS church, which is not locally funded. So it doesn't make sense for people to donate directly to the church. You okay. see what the difference I'm making there? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And and yeah, that's true. There's the structure of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints is a little bit different. Um and and uh, you know, I wanted to ask you too, you had mentioned that you had written a book that kind of yeah, yeah. yeah, what do you have that a copy of that? Okay, yeah, I do actually. I pulled it out here. We hadn't scripted this. For, <laughs> this I wrote this book a few years ago called Before the World Finds Out. And it's it's a little it's in a novel form, but it explains how what the church is doing is we're really just establishing Zion and the world doesn't understand how that operates because there's no other church in the world doing anything like this. And I, I was going to read a little part of it, but I don't really need to. But um, the idea was that so many members, even of the church, are focused on their wards and maybe the trying to keep the commandments or whatever, but they don't have the the overall perspective of what we're really trying to do, which was to bring about the establishment of Zion. And that's why I referred to Pathway, but there's other programs, the Self-Reliance Program and so on, from a very, um, you could say temporal perspective, are, are establishing communities of faithful believers in Christ who are prosperous and can help and, and serve one another. Let me just give you one example. When I was, when we were living in China, when I was teaching in China, President Nelson came to Singapore, so we flew down to be part of that. And one of the things he said to the saints in Singapore was he wanted them to um, in, enhance their education, develop their skills and talents, 
so they could contribute more to the world to make the world a better place. And that's really what we're trying to do. That's the Zion ideal that we have. And it's, it's, I don't, I'm unaware of any other organization that's even attempting anything of the sort. So it's kind of an interesting thing. You kind of have this um, idea, pull it up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, uh, kind of idea that, you know, you need to learn how to fish. You need to learn how to work. This is a perspective. This is a very American perspective uh, about things. And it's, it's definitely has uh, like, it's definitely like a white middle-class uh, idea that's you know that that really uh, yeah, is... I, I, okay i gotta stop you there oh yeah please <laughs> do please do american no thing. i i want to hear yeah it's not an american thing everyone okay. around the world is doing it the most some of the most entrepreneurial people i've ever met are in less developed countries oh they sure yeah, yeah the yeah. capital to do it yeah and so the this is one of the things that um the media tends to promote is you know being white whiteness or okay. white ideology and all that that's that's totally false okay. but but I, the, the the point i'm making though is is that that's kind of like the that's kind of like the the stereotype of how it's looked at is is something like this is these are like 1950s values white suburban america mainline yeah, protestantism and and, and, that, and that's purely an american media thing maybe right. european but my <laughs> point is with, oh, go ahead my point is is that I guess I'm, I look at it this way. A lot of people in their minds have an idea of what a church is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to do this, this, and this, and this. And if you're not doing that, um, it's then then you're not doing the way it, it, it correctly, or you're not a Christian church. And I think maybe this is a, a different perspective of how you're looking at helping people. And I'm not saying this is the best or the worst or anything like that. I think the underlying principle is, is that if you if you can teach people to work up the ladder to get a better education to better themselves mm -hmm. and to do these things these are actually good values that can be very mm -hmm. helpful to people and i will tell you i i interviewed i'm not i'm going to interview a guy who produced a, he's an emmy award winning oscar winning uh, producer uh, the return of elder pingree was uh, i think it's the name of it and he did this documentary that's on amazon and he's left the church but he goes back to his guatemalan mission 25 years later Mm -hmm. to talk and this guy had a major impact on that community i mean they loved him they still love him mm -hmm. and he says in the video he says i have to admit that these people are much better off being members of the church of jesus christ yeah, Latter -day Saints, that their lives yeah. have improved greatly and he could see that there was value in what he the work that he did well are you familiar with the grameen bank and the microloan concept and all that it started in Bangladesh and then oh, expanded yeah. in other countries. Yeah. So, and there's several online charities that do these micro loans that you can get repaid, right? And you, you loan, say, you know, a few hundred dollars to somebody in somewhere in Africa, and then they buy a cow and they expand their business and then they repay the loan. Then you re use that money for someone else. So there's, there's, um, it's kind of what the church is doing. I mean, the church isn't sponsoring micro loans. But through the, the welfare system and the self-reliance programs, that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish. And it's it's awesome. I mean, all around the world, you know, I've been all around the world. I've, I've attended church on every continent. You know? yeah. And I've I've been involved with people everywhere. And, and it's such a, a, a joyful, um, life-affirming, Christ-centered approach that I think is phenomenal. And, and that's why I wrote this book, because the world doesn't know about all this stuff. You know, the world looks at a little program and says, well, you know, that's, they should be giving millions of dollars to feed people, which we do. 
but it's more important to help people to understand how to create a business, how to get an education and so on. And that's, I think, where our main emphasis is. Okay. Okay. Well, this is uh, very interesting because that's, awesome. that, that's why I keep telling you, you need to help us build Zion, Steve. <laughs> I think just about it, so people from just about every branch has mentioned that to me about bringing in yeah. the Zionic community. <laughs> and, and, and I should mention that the pathway is not for LDS people alone. We have non-LDS people involved with it. Okay. As, as well as with the self-reliance classes. You don't have to be LDS to participate in those either. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um, you know, I think, you know, I, I when I was talking to this uh, guy who just recently was served as a bishop mm -hmm. in Canada, and he says, Steve, he says, people don't know that we do a lot. He says, as bishop, I was authorized to be able to give out funds of up to five thousand right. dollars to be able to uh, uh, to good programs in our community. And he mm -hmm. says they don't talk about that. That that each right. ward, each group has access to funds to help their local community. And it's not. And I, and I thought maybe you'd want to talk talk about that. That's a really good point. I I, I looked it up. I think there's around five hundred wards and branches in Canada, something like that. And I have no idea how many there are in Australia. I, I know there's five temples. I've been to all of them in Australia. And I've been to several of the ones in Canada, as well as the attended church in those places. And so each, each ward, each branch even, does community service. Here in our little, you know, I live in this small town of Wildport, 2,000 people with one stoplight. We had a stake activity day where other members from around the, in our stake came over and we cleaned up uh, parks and trails and laid bark down, cleaned highways. We just did community service. It was awesome. But that would never show up on these accounting books that everybody's complaining about. And, and words and six do that everywhere, all mm. around the world. Mm. And then we just like to do service as part of our Christian beliefs and practice. Mm. We help one another financially all the time. Um, outside of even the church sometimes you know we we're happy to share and and do things take meals to people all the time you know those kind of things too so it's we're really developing a, what i consider to be a zion society that's universal all throughout the world it's ubiquitous really if you know where the church members are and i've I, you know i've talked with lots of service missionaries around the world i met a couple in uh, myanmar a couple years ago who were they were working for LDS charities and they would go around and do well projects, hand out um, wheelchairs, those kind of things. And that's, you know, you couldn't say, okay, so much tithing money went into the country for that, but those people were there serving free of charge, you know. Mm. Mm. I don't, there's 60,000 missionaries, something like that, but there's a lot of um, service missionaries out there doing work too. Right, let me give you one last, one more example. So two weeks ago, I was in Germany, in Frankfurt, and I had dinner with a lawyer who was a, a service missionary there in Frankfurt. And his job was managing the um, leases in Ukraine. And he had over 100 leases that he was managing, <laughs> if you can imagine. And on the side that the, so the Russians had taken over, on, that, on the eastern side of Ukraine, he had no further contact with those. But even on the western side, he had... There's a real challenge of work, finding which banks had not been uh, sanctioned by the U.S. government, which could be used. I mean, it's a very complex legal issue. But they're using the church buildings there as sanctuaries for people, for refugees to live in, in Ukraine. I don't know if I should have mentioned that. I don't know if that's public knowledge. So, mm -hmm. But um, 
the point is that these are the kind of efforts that the church does, sponsoring all these uh, these buildings for people to have refuge in that the critics never talked about. They they're unaware of probably, but even if they were aware of it, it wouldn't make it to uh, you know the CBC and those kind of shows. Sixty mm. minutes. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask you one of the things that uh, Nigel um, brought up was the living conditions for some of the senior missionaries who are um, putting some, you know, they're, they're re older folks, right. they don't have heat, the conditions of the facilities that they're staying at are- <laughs> Yeah, they had, to, they had to turn their oven on to heat- Turn the their oven on to heat up the house. <laughs> um, yeah. What, do you, do you think that maybe the church in those cases should maybe invest in, in better living facilities for like missionaries and senior missionaries and stuff like that? You know, in a case-by-case -case basis, I, I'm aware of situations where people were in one of those kind of conditions, complained to the mission president. As soon as the mission president heard about it, they got a better accommodation. Okay. So I don't, you know, I can't speak to an anecdote like that. Right. I know generally, though, the way the senior missions work, as well as the younger missionaries, is there's a uniform payment and that they make, and then that's allocated uniformly throughout the church so that everybody has contributes the same regardless of where they live and they certainly have standards of uh, quality for living spaces in fact i know senior couples whose entire mission was going around inspecting the the apartments for younger missionaries making sure they were kept up that they were adequate that they had all the the utilities and things that they needed I know another senior missionary who's almost his full-time job is dealing with landlords on paying the rent and you know making sure things are repaired and so on. So I was surprised to hear some of those stories. On the other hand, some missionaries kind of revel in the, the ability to survive difficult circumstances. So it could have been one of those kind of deals. Yeah. Uh, you know. I, I've talked with, I've visited senior missionaries all around the world, and they have adequate conditions, nothing like what he referred to. Okay, so I was just wondering, uh, based on, okay, so you, I'm assuming you watched my interview with Nigel, and you watched the two news reports, yep. what was your, what's your takeaway that you want to kind of, um, you know, after watching it, and thinking about it, and say, what is the main thing that Jonathan Neville wants to get across to my audience after watching those programs? Well, the main thing, I guess, is, it's hard to say one main thing, but one main thing is that people who are not sophisticated with finance and economics don't understand how large organizations have to operate. There's innumerable regulations and laws in different countries. There's treaties there. Well, in Canada, I think they, they changed the law not too long ago and the church adjusted accordingly. I think it was in 2014, there was a federal court decision or something in in, in Australia that the church read, worked with the lawyers to make sure they're in compliance. One thing that I can tell you internally, because I'm on this worldwide training team for Pathway, one thing I can tell you internally, the church emphasizes over and over the article of faith about, we believe in being subject to governments. And we, we do everything we can to be in full compliance with governments all around the world. And so in that sense, I think people should be comfortable that the church is in compliance with whatever the applicable laws are. The laws can change and all politics can change and the church adapts accordingly, but it's not a case of the church trying to get away with something. You know, it's, it's often said that one man's loophole is another man's tax benefit, you know, that a loophole is 
someone else's tax benefit that you don't like, right? Yeah. And so I, I think it's it's a little um, disingenuous for these media people to cast aspersion as if the church is not obeying the law, honoring and sustaining the law, which it is. If it's not, then it should be held accountable. But I can tell you from inside that the church makes every effort to do that. They have law firms in every country around the world, for, you know, cordial relationships with government officials and so on. You know, I, uh, you know, folks, uh, of course, I'm, uh, Dr. Randy Bell says that my channel is the uh, Switzerland of Mormonism. <laughs> and and it's become a, a neutral safe space and and honestly this this these uh, the reason i brought this to everybody's attention was the the fifth estate is a very very important show um you know nigel alluded to it and uh basically hockey canada was dismantled and hockey canada is like one of the most powerful institutions in in canada and they had a lot of issues uh, i i do watch quite a bit of canadian news and so I knew, like, this is a big deal, Fifth Estate. I also knew 60 Minutes Australia, of course, that's a big deal. And in both cases, you have them hinting that, of course, the government might get involved in something like this. So I just want to be get this on everybody's radar screen, that there could be uh, some stuff happening in Canada and in Australia in regards to the government. And so just be aware that that's probably going to be a, a, an ongoing news story um, that that will happen. But also, I I, I want to say... I just think that from a public relations position, the church needs to, and I'm not, of course, I'm not telling the church how to do it, but one idea that I had was I thought, you know what they ought to do is they ought to do like a hundred billion in 10 years program with $10 billion a year will go to charities. Like for instance, like maybe the Salvation Army, uh, Franklin Graham's Samaritan's Purse, uh, Catholic Charities. I I, I, th I think, and, I, and this is because I love, I, I want, I would love, it would be such a great gesture. And again, I'm not telling the church what they do, but this is my idea. They do the 10 billion a year, 100 billion over 10 years, and you give it to these wonderful Christian charities and even secular charities, atheist charities, I don't care, but are helping people, you know? And then I think that on a public relations standpoint, it would be great, but it also would do great good. I mean, that's just my idea. I'm just tossing it out there. What do you think, Jonathan? <laughs> well, one, for one thing, you have to realize LDS people don't only pay tithing. That's we true. donate to all these other charities as that's well. That's true. Yeah. And we, so, you know, if I donate clothes to Goodwill, that doesn't go on the records anywhere as being attributed oh, yeah. to the church, yeah. right? Right. So, and, and the church encourages us to be involved with local charities and activities. So I, I don't think it, it did, wouldn't make sense for me to have the church donate $10 billion oh, okay. a year to these existing charities. It does do to certain ones, like the Catholic charities, the Islamic charities, and so on, where they're targeted for for a purpose that's in alignment with the church's values in terms of self-reliance. Okay. Because our, our desire is to elevate everyone's lives, both spiritually and temporally. And some charities, maybe they do that, maybe they don't, maybe there's a big overhead, there's all those kind of issues that you have to deal with. And I think the church does a pretty pretty good job of deciding which charities are, are good to work with, which ones can leverage the money the most effectively, and which ones are compatible with the values that we're trying to do as we strive to establish science. 
<laughs> I, I wouldn't want to see the church do something just for publicity. Oh no, not for publicity. I think it would. It would. Yeah. It, it could. I'm just saying you're going to be getting a lot of bad publicity, and I'm just thinking, well, yeah. this would be, but it also would have the benefit of doing a lot of great good. That's just kind of me thinking yeah. out a little well, bit. I, I think it was. I don't know if it was during your idea. It might have been where the the guest was talking about all the the multiple entities that the church has to own real estate and so on. Maybe it's in one of the shows. I don't remember which one. But that's normal behavior for any large organization. And there's all kinds of reasons why we do that. And I say we, in terms of when I've been involved with corporate America, you have to do those for various compliance reasons and so on. And so there's there's a lot of, uh, I, I, I hate to say, ignorance of financial management that goes on in this criticism that we see in the media. And some people take advantage of that ignorance on the part of the public and try to sensationalize it. Mm -hmm. I'm incredibly impressed with how well the church is managed okay. and the professionalism okay. of it. And, you know, President Hinckley in particular kept emphasizing, we seek to go through the front door. We're not trying to hide anything. We work with local governments. We're subject to kings and magistrates, all those things in the, in the articles of faith. And I think it's awesome the way it works. You know? Okay. So well, I, I do. Let me say one thing, though. I, I'll give a caveat because back, I remember back in the 1960s, the church used to report a lot of financial information. They would even, I, I have a newsletter from back then where they reported that I think it was the tithing or the fast offering from each stake in the church, you know. Oh. And I would love to see that kind of disclosure because I, I think it's, I think it would be affirming for church members to feel part of, uh, of this incredible organization that is establishing Zion around the world and people are people are kind of curious about what is really happening and we, we just don't know hmm. unless we're in, involved with the particular aspect of it and so I would love to see more openness I'm not complaining about it I just think it would be a benefit to us and I think um, church members would respond positively to that all right Jonathan hold up that book okay <laughs> Right. I don't even know if it's still in print, but okay, I'll, <laughs> I guess you could get it on Amazon. It was five years ago it came out. I never really promoted it. Um, it was actually the first uh, novel in a series I was doing, and I haven't finished yet or published the others yet. But it's a, I got a lot of positive feedback. People are, have been bugging me about when the next one's coming out. So it's on my okay. to-do list. Great. I might actually might have that. Boy, Total might have sent me a copy of that. I have to go through and look because it looked familiar yeah. when I saw it. Um, you know, Jonathan, uh, one of the reasons that we, we actually had already planned on uh, you coming on eventually to, to to also respond to your critics. Um, and one of those things is that, and we're going to talk, we're going to do another separate interview, but you had just recently written a paper for the Interpreter um, mm -hmm. uh, Journal. Um, so maybe uh, just talk briefly about that and I can leave a link to that article in the uh, description and then we can come back next week and we could talk more yeah, about it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we'd be happy. I, I was impressed that the interpreter agreed to let me publish an article and kind of responding. Um, I guess I was a little, I misunderstood a little bit because I thought they asked me to do just a short uh, response. And then my critic published another <laughs> long response of all the things I didn't address. Well, it was supposed to be just a fairly short, concise response. So I've asked them if I can now publish yet another one that goes in more detail. Got it. But, you know, you play whack-a-mole with these critics sometimes and it's pointless, but he's he continues to um, kind of misrepresent what I'm saying. And I think readers of the interpreter deserve to at least know my, my actual position. 
So we'll see if that happens. But yeah, okay. we can talk about it more next week. Now we're going to talk about that next week. And of course, critics of Jonathan Neville, I've reached out to you and, and welcome <laughs> you to the program. Sure. And please, yeah. bye. This is the Switzerland, the Switzerland of Mormonism. This is the there place we need a fair hearing, guys. So definitely, yeah. I'd, I'd love for you to come on. Uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The water's nice and warm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so either way, folks, I just want to thank you. Jonathan, thanks for doing a solid and coming on today and sure. putting up with all these technical difficulties. Well, hopefully it helped and offered another perspective on these things, but a, a positive perspective. Yep, that's right. Now, folks, I just want to remind you, don't forget to like and subscribe and hit the notification button for when a new episode comes out. Also, for those of you who would like to financially support the program, there will be links in the description where you can support us on Patreon, um, PayPal, as well as our merch store, mormonbookreviews.com. Um, I just want to remind everybody, I want you to all, first of all, have a great day. Um, I really love and appreciate all the feedback I get. I want you to leave comments to Jonathan and maybe respond, maybe favorably or unfavorably, and uh, and and to to this interview and tell us what you think of of Jonathan's presentation and views that he gave today. And I just want to remind everybody: don't forget, all the voices of the restoration will be heard here on Mormon Book Reviews. <laughs>